The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. We are looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6-9, through 9, and the title of the sermon is How to Rejoice in Your Trials. Pretty appropriate subject. Let me read to you from uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3-9. through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected, you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, or the approved part of your faith that's, that's refined, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. You notice that what you have here is sandwiched in between the rejoicing is the suffering. There is suffering, Peter is talking about, but before it and after it comes rejoicing. Remember, Peter's writing to a group of believers who are suffering, going through great trials. So he begins by explaining how their present suffering fits into God's overall salvation plans for them. Sometimes that's very difficult for us to understand in our own lives and in the lives of others. Sometimes we think we would be so much better off if we didn't have the suffering. The fact is that sufferings provide some real improvements in our life. For example, let me tell you the story about the moth. Uh, a young boy found the cocoon of a moth, and he took it to his house. He wanted to watch the event of the, of the moth coming out of the cocoon. When the moth started to break out, he notices how very hard and very long the moth has to struggle. It's just a big struggle for him to get out of that cocoon. And so, in an effort to help him, he widens the opening. Soon the moth was out, but his wings were shriveled and useless. In other words, he took the trials away, and there was no way to prepare the wings for use in his life. Something was really wrong. He had not realized that the struggle to get out of the cocoon is what forced fluid into the wings and developed the muscle system. Trials are necessary for development. Development for what? Well, in this case, it was to fly instead of crawl. So what you were designed to be is a son of God and intimate with Christ. And this is what your trials do for you. They prepare you for fulfilling this calling that God has put upon your life. So this is what Peter says about these trials. He says, this is how undeserved suffering makes sense in the life of a believer. Now, in James chapter 1, we're told that we should count it nothing but joy whenever we fall into diverse trials, because we know that trials produce endurance, but you have to let endurance complete its work. Now, endurance is the ability to stay under pressure and do the right thing. And, and this is what brought them to fruition. Endurance has to do its perfect work. He has to, it has to complete its work. So it's the plan, the purpose, the desire, and the will of God that all our lives on this earth, we will be continually and 
intensely desiring to know Jesus Christ in a way in our daily walk, he will be living his life through us. God wants us to know his son in a deep and profound way. So this, since this is his priority for our lives, God is willing to allow us to suffer if it will produce a greater intimacy with Jesus Christ. This is God's priority. His priority isn't comfort in our circumstances, but communion with our Lord Jesus. So how does this make it possible for me to rejoice in my trials? Well, first of all, I have to, in order to answer that question, I have to understand the nature of your trials, nature of my own trials. In verse 6, he talks about this. These are trials, which is the undeserved suffering from without, not suffering because of your own folly or sin. It's not an aspect of repentance, but rather it is trouble that you go through because God wants to prepare your life for something bigger and better. The second thing he says about it is that it's brief. It's short in duration. He says, now for a little while in light of eternity, a lifetime is actually short. And so even if you suffered for a lifetime, it would be a short time in, in light of eternity. Uh, Adoniram Judson often met with uh, young uh, missionaries and to try to help them prepare for their service. And there's a story about him meeting with a uh, with a young man who was ready to go out on the field, and he highly prized him. And uh, they were sitting at a table, and they both had ordered tea. And Hudson Taylor says, watch this. And he slams down his fist on the table. And sure enough, the tea spills out of the cups onto the table. And he says, you need to recognize something. You are going to be buffeted in the Christian life as you serve God. But what comes out of you, it's going to spill everywhere. But what spills everywhere is what is, has already been in you. It's not something foreign from you, but it's what is actually in you. And so it's going to reveal the truth about what's really going on inside of you. And uh, therefore, be prepared for it. So we are to appreciate the, the purpose of our trials, which is to prepare us uh, for our relationship with Christ, and then to enjoy the effects of your trials in verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9, he says, And though you have, seen, have not seen him, you love him. Isn't that something? Your love for Christ is of such a nature that you've never seen him, but you love him. And he's more precious than gold, which is perishable. The faith that you have in him is more precious than gold. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Let me just say one little word about salvation of your souls. The word soul is used, for example, in Genesis when it says that God created Adam. He was a living soul. Now, soul emphasizes the fact that inside of us, we have this capacity to feel life. It really refers to our emotions and the way that we respond to life. And so when our soul is saved, it means that the emotions that come out of our soul is an expression that is, that is what it should be. In this case, he says that, that our soul, because our souls are saved, we can rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. In other words, our, our, our souls, our emotions, have been affected by the work of the Spirit in our life as we go through trials. Now, the effects of faith refined through trials is seen in three statements. Christ will come, become the object of your affection. He says it this way, you have never seen him, but you love him. And then he says, Christ will become the source of your joy in verse 8. You are not seeing him now, but you are believing in him. Yes, this relationship with him continually causes your heart to overflow with joy.
And then he says, you have not seen him, but you love him. It is a great thing to say that about the power of faith, but there's a much greater thing, which he now says, which is from the day to day, you are not seeing him. You're not seeing him as you live on through your life, but you're believing in him and you have through that faith, exulting delight in him. You greatly rejoice. That means to be getty, to be to be filled with joy, to be extremely joyful in our life. And he says that the reason this is true is because of the work of trials in our life. It prepares us to be what we ought to be in our relationship with Christ, full of joy. It's joy unspeakable. You can't even describe it. It's above and beyond. Then he says, and full of glory, literally having been glorified. Psalm 16 says that when you're in the presence of God, it is a time of fullness of joy. This is a character of God. God makes his people joyful, and Jesus Christ makes his people joyful and full of glory. Now, that means you have been glorified and that you have experienced this joy that's glorified, intimacy with Christ, which produces heavenly joy. So your salvation will become real and enjoyable. While receiving it, we're told, we're going to be receiving it to personally appropriate and enjoy and take for one's own use. The implication is that as your faith is refined through trials, you are able to enjoy more and more of the salvation that will only be fully experienced in heaven when you're in his presence. It's kind of like getting interest payments on your inheritance or like getting an ice cream sample at Baskin Robbins. You can actually delight in your personal relationship with Christ while he is still invisible to you. You want to learn to rejoice in your trials? Allow God to keep refining your faith so that by faith, you can experience intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't quench your joy. God has given you joy through your trials so that you would have a, a joyful relationship with Jesus Christ and become an effective witness for him. This is the big missing thing in the lives of many people. They have no joy in Christ, and therefore it's difficult for them to witness for Christ. But when your heart is filled with joy about Christ, you want to tell people about him. And this is why, this is how God has done it. He has changed us at the very depth of our being. And so we are to rejoice in trials, knowing that the trials have a purpose in them. God is working in our lives. He is changing us on the inside and making us lovers of Jesus Christ and full of joy because of our love for him. We are to enjoy the effects of our trials in verses 8 and 9. It tells us, and though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory as you are obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your soul. And so God has given you something new and deep and profound. And that joy that flows through your heart and your soul is what exactly what you need as a motivator to be a true witness of Jesus Christ. So don't quench the joy. Enjoy it. Indulge in it. Express your, your great love and appreciation to the Father for the joy that he has given you in Christ Jesus. And this is what trials do for us. They refine us. And this is seen in three different expressions. For example, he says, Christ will become the object of your affections. You have never seen him, but you love him. That's 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and also John 20, verse 29. And then we're told that Christ will become the source of your joy. You are not seeing him now as you are believing in him, yet this relationship with him continually causes your heart to overflow with joy. And that overflow of joy is 
that is part and parcel of your witnessing for Jesus Christ. People are excited to hear from witnesses of Christ who actually know him and experience the joy that only he can bring. The evidence that you know him is your joy. And this is why God allows us to go through trials in order for us to come to the place where we have profound joy. And so you can say, though I have not seen him, I love him. And though I'm not seeing him now, but believing in him, I rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And you can gladly, in a very effective way, bring a convicting witness concerning Jesus Christ. This is what God has called you to do. So don't don't get discouraged about trials, but instead fan the flame and ask God to use your trials to the very ultimate extent so that you could be a person who really knows how to bear witness of Christ in his actions and his words. God wants to, to use you as a, to bear witness for the Lord Jesus Christ in an effective way. And the big payoff is you'll see people coming to faith in Christ and their lives transformed and them becoming full of joy and full of the ability to bear witness to Jesus Christ. This is what God's called you for, and this is why he wants you to seek his joy in Christ and to not quench the Spirit's work of producing joy in you. God wants you to bear witness to, to Christ that is characterized by an overflow of joy and an overflow of the expression of glory as you live the Christian life in, in faith in Jesus Christ. So take this seriously. Read First Peter chapter 1 over and over again and let it sink into your heart that this is what God has called you to do. He's called you to be an effective witness for Christ, someone who can effectively and joyfully tell about who Christ is and what he does for those who put their trust in him. And he'll bless your life. He'll fill you with more joy. And you will have the benefit of seeing so many people turn to Christ and come to know him and follow him. Do that and you will be deeply and profoundly satisfied. I promise. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.